Welcome to the podcast from Eden Worship Center. Because we believe that it is God's Word that does God's work in God's people, we want you to hear the gospel preached in the gathering of believers. We want you to read it for yourself and to join us as we think together and talk together about the sermon from this past week and what's going on in our world. You can join the conversation by sending in your comments and questions to EdenWC at Hotmail.com. May God cause His Word to come alive in your heart today. All right, well, welcome to the Midweek Podcast. Pastor Matt here. And uh, founding Pastor Harold. Founding, you just got to let them know. Hey, I just thought I would just... It it is helpful, I think, actually, because of uh, people listening to this, like you, you can kind of forget maybe some of the origins of where we came from, how we how we got to where we are, and... You know, all jokes aside, you know I'm a history lover, so I am a firm believer that if we don't know our past, we don't know our future, and, uh, you know, as I work on local history, I've just been impressed again with some things that I've been working on this week with people who played a significant role in the development of this community, and nobody even knows their name. Mm Mm-hmm. There's no street named after them. Uh, by the way, don't you name a street after me. Oh, this is Harold like... Gingrich Boulevard as oh, soon as you're dead. Help us, 100%. Lord. 100%. <laughs> it's going to have your face painted on it right in the middle. No, wait a minute. But anyway, seriously, you know, <laughs> it, it is important for a church, I think, to know its, its foundations and to know its history. And really, that's what we look at when we look into the scriptures and we're looking at uh, the saving grace of God that redeemed us and those whom God used to call us. Um, so that's a blessing. And yeah. I've gone on far too much well, about so that. Well, so here's an interesting thing. Uh, we talked this Sunday about joining Jesus on his mission. So this whole idea of that Christ himself is on mission to save the world. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's the one that the father has sent. And, um, it's interesting. It occurred to me when you, you said the thing about history, whether it's, it's like just community history, uh, our nation's history or the church's history, we tend to really as individuals really upplay individual things. Uh, what's my contribution? What's yes. my legacy that I'm leaving mm-hmm. or looking to, uh, particular one-off heroes throughout the historical record as if uh, a singular person like Martin Luther affected the Reformation or John Calvin or uh, Ulrich Zwingli. Like we, we pin it on a person when the exactly. reality is it's a community that God is working in, the ecclesia, the gathering together of God's exactly. people. And part of that is, yeah, man, we do, we do things that are important as individuals, but the idea is it gets swallowed up in the corporate thing that God is doing, and ultimately it doesn't even point to, say, the church. It points to Christ himself. Exactly, and if we ever lose that, that it's Christ that's the center, uh, Christ who was the author, Christ who is the finisher, we are in major trouble. Yeah, well, and trouble when it comes to, and and I thought this is actually a great segue into the joining Jesus thing, because... We get ourselves in trouble when it comes to sharing the gospel, sharing good news with people, because we we go back to that thing of thinking, well, it's all about me. It's me as an individual, what I do, what I say. How do I win this person to Christ? How do I win this person to faith? 
rather than starting with, it's Christ who's going to build his church. It's Christ who's going to exactly. open their eyes. And I'm just joining in what he's doing. I'm not doing anything new myself. Uh, I'm just being faithful to what he's called me to. And I, I think that's actually a really great starting point, not overvaluing ourselves. Exactly. And I, I think back to something that I have said over and over again, something that I heard when I was a kid, that when it comes to saving faith, it's just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Now, I Which I, is great unless you're on the keto diet. Unless you're on keto. Then it's just depressing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to come up oh. with something. But, you, you know, it reminds me of... I now know I'm old, but I was born at an early age. But uh, before I was born, or while I was too young to know what was going on, it was back in the days of what they called hobos. And many of those men left their homes because it was no work. And so they went on the road, they rode the rails, and hopped on freight trains to go someplace to find work so they could send money home to support their families. Now, yeah. That was a very noble thing. Now, there were some, obviously, who abused it. But here's the point I wanted to make, is that among them, they would mark houses where they could get a, a free meal. No, really? Yeah. There'd be something out, or maybe on the post of the uh, mailbox, or if hmm. there was a picket fence, there would be some kind of a mark that everybody knew. If you saw that mark, they'll give you food. Right. There's something there. That's interesting. Yeah. So, hey, is there a mark on us that people know that if they come to us, we'll share with them the living bread uh, or point them to the Savior? What is it there about? Okay. Now, for those of you who are fans of the show The Office, I apologize <laughs> for the reference to the mark on you because you can't think of anything else right now. For the rest of you, I'm not even going to explain it. See, that just went right yeah. over my no, head. It's, my wife wouldn't appreciate it either, but for those who do. Hey, bringing us back, uh, <laughs> I do have notes from Sunday. Really? Oh, what do you got? Well, I got some good stuff. And I seriously, I got thinking about this. We learn by what we hear, by what we read, and by what we write. So good teachers will try to do something for their students that incorporates all three. So yeah. one of the good habits that I got into was taking notes on a, on a sermon. Uh, whether I go back and review those notes or not, uh, I've heard it, and I've taken notes on it, and it begins to just get it into your mind and into yeah. your spirit. Uh, one of the things I wrote down is it's not our power to pro, uh, pros persuade. I could got yeah. my mix all talked up. It's, <laughs> it's not our power to persuade. It's, it's us just yeah. pointing people to the Savior. And that takes the pressure off of us. Absolutely. Uh, I was on a Zoom call Monday night, and it stretched me a comment that was made. said, we need to embrace the process and divorce ourselves from the results. And, you know, I thought about that as it relates to sharing our faith with people, because we think results. Yeah. And if we don't see results, you know, we want to share the gospel, we want to see people come to faith, and we want to see it all happen in five minutes. Yeah. Well, that's not realistic. But it's this process, joining Jesus on the journey. And 
not getting caught up in the results. The results are his. Unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor in vain who labor. So that takes the pressure off of me. All I have to do is just love people and extend the grace of Christ, the truth of Christ, the word of Christ to them, and then let the Holy Spirit do the work. Yeah. Yeah, the, the uh, power to save belongs to God alone. Uh, election belongs to God alone. It, we can't do that. Even, even our loved ones, our family members who uh, are unbelievers, mm-hmm. we can't choose it for them. That's and true. To be honest, unless God opens their eyes, they can't choose it for them. Like, that's why prayer is so important. Oh, absolutely. Well, you made reference to that scripture in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this world has blinded their eyes. Yeah. You know? A blind child cannot see their parent waving at them or holding up their hands in warning. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. I, I actually had jotted that scripture down as well. Uh, I even did it on Sunday. I didn't mention this from the New American Standard Bible. Ooh, hallelujah. That's, that's dad's favorite version. Hey, just listen, in case that's the version that Chuck Swindoll uses. That's the one uses. Jesus used. I wouldn't, yeah, and the words are in red too. Oh, goodness gracious. There it is. Uh, but... Uh, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. But it's such an interesting phrase, blinded their minds. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not blinded their eyes. It's actually, I mean, that, that's a subsequent thing, but he's blinded their minds. Like they can't, it doesn't matter how good you are at saying it, how eloquent, uh, a good argument maker you are, how good you are at timing, saying the right thing at the right time their minds are blinded to it. Their eyes are blind. Their ears are deaf. Unless God opens their eyes, they can't hear it. They no. can't understand it. And they won't receive a single thing we have to say to them. Yeah. You know, part of the process, uh, I believe, is that we begin to build relationships with people with the intention of being able to, at some point to share the gospel with them. And then we're observing what is the Holy Spirit doing in their life? What's yeah. happening uh, this is probably, maybe it's a good analogy. I went to the eye doctor yesterday, was happy that he said my eyes are in great condition. Good. Yeah. Uh, but he did say, you've got the beginnings of some cataracts, which is a film that just dims your vision. Well, the one thing I learned about uh, optometry is they wait until the time when that cataract is at a certain stage to be peeled off. They recognize that it's there. Right. And I got to thinking about this as I was driving back from the eye doctor yesterday. Isn't that how it is with the work of salvation in the lives of people? There is a timing that God has. If I try to move ahead of that, then I'm going to mess things up. But when the time's right... That eye doctor can just go in and in a simple procedure just peel off that cataract and my eyes are perfect. And I thought, man, what a great analogy. Now, obviously, you take any illustration, you push it too far, it'll begin to break down on you. But, you know, just from a distance looking at that, what a, what a great parallel. Yeah. What's God doing? Is the timing right? Which means I also need to be listening to the Holy Spirit right. as to when to speak. Well, And when we're especially sharing the gospel with someone that we know and love and we identify there, there's a level of blindness going on here. We're doing everything, everything we can to just peel that off right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And 
we are working on a different timetable than God often. And so it is so helpful. In fact, this is where we ended in the sermon of we're just, we're watching for those around us that God has connected us to. Um, we are building relationships with them. We're, we're just simply loving people. Even as God's loved us, we love them. Uh, we are waiting as mm-hmm. God works in their lives, praying exactly. as God works in their lives. And it's not until, like, it, you've built relationship, you're building uh, trust, you're genuinely getting to know them, not like a pet project, but genuinely getting to know them, to care about them, to appreciate them as someone made in the image of God. And then we're watching for what is that timing? Where is God working? And when you start seeing God at work in somebody's lives, well, that's the point where we jump in and really actively go to work on those things. Well, and all that relationship has just prepared the road for it. You you gave a great uh, three-step process Sunday on that. I even wrote this down, too. Oh, it's so like, imp- oh. So impressive. Yes, you're becoming like your father. Three oh, points. Wait or f- till Sunday. <laughs> wait till this coming Sunday. Yeah, there's three points, and they all start with the same word, or the same letter. Oh. And I'm preaching in another church, and it starts, oh, the service starts at 1030. Wow, the glory oh, of listen, God. glory to God for live stream, and it's out there, there you go. in cyberspace. <laughs> but coming back to something that you said that, that was really good. We watch. It ties in with what we're talking about here. We watch. Um, Who has God connected us with? And are we building relationships there? Second, we wait. God's timing, and we're praying in this whole process. You know, what's God doing here? And then we work when he's working. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really, really good, because you also said God works in a process, but salvation happens in a moment. And I think one of the problems we've had in the church over the years is we've forgotten the process part. Mm-hmm. And we've just looked at that moment, you know, in some uh, church traditions where they walk the aisle, they kneel at the altar, or they go up and shake the pastor's hand, and that was a conversion. I, I was in a number of churches during my... Really, like, shake the pastor's hand? That's literally, the, uh, come shake the pastor's hand. That meant, okay, I'm coming up here, I'm going to become a Christian. Yeah. All right. Back in my early days. Uh for before your mom and I were married. Well, and none of those are any less valid than anything else. I mean, it's an outward step. Yes. Just proclaiming what's happening. As long as we don't think that they are uh, accomplishing salvation. No. That it's proclaiming the work that God has done rather than praying this prayer. That saved you. Shaking the pastor's hand. That saved you. Kissing yeah. the ring. That saved you. Do you want to kiss I don't. now? I don't. Believe it or not, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I'm chuckling, but it, it reminds me when I was uh, when I was an eighth grader. Okay, we were having revival meetings, and the pastor and his wife and the evangelists were over to our house, and it was decided that that night I would go forward in the invitation. Okay, now my mom—I don't know if I ever told you this. I but, don't know, but my mom made me promise that I, <laughs> I'm laughing. Mom said, you have to wait until the second verse. Are you kidding me? No. She said, you don't want to appear too eager. And I'm thinking, what the world? Mom. Now, she's with the Lord, so she's laughing now, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. There's a lot of churches that do that. They have plants in the uh, auditorium who will respond, and it's 
it's a psychological thing. If someone else exactly. is doing it, well, it makes it easier it for makes it easier. <clears throat> the person responding. Only that doesn't cause salvation. No. It, it might cause false conversions of people who are in the moment emotionally moved that they don't want to go to hell and they want a better life. And well, other people exactly. are doing it. I'll doing it too. That's way different than surrendering our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Oh, totally different. You're, you're spot on with that. But you know, my point in all of this is that so often we've looked to that moment. I went forward in a Billy Graham crusade, or I went forward on the second verse of just as I am. <laughs> uh, and we look at that moment. Well, was that moment important? Absolutely, positively, because I physically, mentally, spiritually took a step of faith and made a declaration to myself, to the world, I am going to follow Jesus. So was that important? Absolutely. But there was also a process that had preceded that where my family had poured into me the scriptures from the time I was a little guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you've heard me say this. I don't remember going to bed at night without Bible stories being read to me. Um, they just poured into me. My grandfather continually looked for opportunities to teach me life lessons and spiritual lessons. I'm grateful to God for that. Yeah. But that was a part of the process that came to a significant moment when I went forward. The glorious thing is the process is continuing. As Paul said, we are being changed from glory to glory to glory. Yeah, that process of sanctification after yeah. salvation happens. Never, never well. ends. Yeah. So, you know, people, uh, I thought of this this morning, you know. Some people say, oh, do you believe in a second work of grace? Well, yeah, and the third and the fourth and the fifth and every day is a work of grace. Where would we be today if it wasn't for the grace of God that sustains us in this day? Yeah. So every day, everything is a work of grace. Now, I understand what they're saying with a second work of grace, but... Although most people listening don't know what we're talking about, and we're not going to muddy the waters with it right now. Well, we'll <laughs> keep those cards and letters coming, folks. So uh, one of the things that I, I stole from Greg Finke, the, the author of the book our community groups are going through, Joining Jesus on His Mission, uh, was a, a lengthy quote, and I, I won't read the whole quote right now, but it basically said that God has sent His Son into the world in, in response to uh, sin, and separation, how sin has separated us from God, Mm -hmm. uh, that God has sent his son into the world to save it and redeem it. And then God sends us into the world, not to save and redeem it, that's Christ's work, uh, but to proclaim good news. Well, and you had a nice little fill in the blank. You know, we like fill in the blanks. Our job is to join Jesus on his mission by loving people, and sharing the good news with them. Yeah, yeah. and that's our job. Our, that our job is, our is job. not to talk them into salvation, accomplish their salvation, be responsible for their salvation. It's to love them and to share good news with them. Exactly. And, you know, as, as we're talking here this morning, you know, I thought of the dynamics of family members. One of the most difficult things is to share the gospel with a family member, yeah. uh, especially if there's sibling rivalry that's going on within that family because if there's sibling rivalry between you and your brother or your sister or 
some other family member, you're probably the last person they want to hear the gospel from because even if they believe you, by acknowledging that, they're acknowledging that you're right and they're wrong, and that just feeds the rivalry. So, you know, what a freeing thing it is for us to just love them. Hey, share the gospel, share the good news. Hey, look, I want to tell you what God's done in my life. You know me. You, you, we've grown up together. You know me. And I just want you to know I made a decision to follow Jesus. Uh, I'm not there yet. And then we just pray and pray that God will bring someone into their life whom they know, who they'll receive it from, who will share the gospel with them mm-hmm. in a depth that we can't. Yeah. Because that sibling, sibling rivalry is there. And sometimes it's hard because, well... I don't want to admit you're right. Well, it's either you have the, uh, just thinking your brother's here, you have the little brother, you're my little brother, like you're not, you're not telling me what to do, or you're my big brother, you're yeah. always telling me what to do, I'm yeah. not listening to you. Exactly. I mean, either one of those angles, uh, you end up missing out on something. But I, I love the way that you said it, it's kind of like that picture of your grandfather always looking for opportunities in mm-hmm. everyday, ordinary, whether it be conversations or things that you're doing, we're that's back to that first step. We're watching. We're yeah. watching for opportunities. We're watching for open doors, what God is doing in the person's life, questions that are coming up, struggles that are coming up. And we're looking for a way uh, to sow the gospel into that, sow the good news into that. We're looking for teachable moments. And, and I've probably shared this far too many. No, I didn't. I have not shared this far too many times because... you got at least six more to go. Okay, good. <laughs> You know, uh, and I've often, I've literally told the story around the world where when I was a little boy, my grandfather arranged for me to sing at Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, Illinois. I was so little that they had to put a chair behind the pulpit. And I remember crawling up on the chair and the man looking at me and saying, son, would you like accompaniment? Now, I was raised in the Mennonite church, the kind that didn't use musical instruments, and I looked at him and I said, what's that? I'd never heard that word before. And I remember him just chuckling and saying, go ahead. So I got up, I sang um, the Old Rugged Cross, and I sang that um, beautiful Stuart Hamlin song, It Is No Secret What God Can Do, What He's Done For Others, He'll Do For You. And I remember getting done and going and sitting by my grandpa, and Grandpa was never one to, to uh, say good job, but his way of doing it, he put his arm around me and he goes, mm-hmm. that was good job. Uh-huh. And my heart was so full. It didn't matter that I was singing for alcoholics, homeless people who'd come off the street for a, a, a shower and a hot meal and a clean bed sure. to sleep on. In my mind, as a little boy, I was singing to the Lord. And I remember that the next thing after I got done, was the offering. And I remember taking my little billfold and literally turning it upside down in the offering plate. My grandfather saw a teachable moment. And the next day, he came to me and he said, how much did you put in the offering? Well, I can't tell you today how much it was. Then I knew exactly how much it was. And he pulled out his billfold and he said, I want want you to learn that when you give to God, he will always give back to you twice in return. It won't always be in dollars and cents, but today it will be. And he doubled the amount of money that I gave in the offering. Now, since he'd done that for me, he had to do that for my two uncles, who one's a year and a half older than I am and the other almost five years older than I am. And so he had to do it for them too. But he looked for teachable moments. Yeah. 
And, you know, as parents and grandparents, uh, by God's grace, we want to look for teachable moments, consciously be thinking, pouring the gospel into our kids. And then as we're circulating in the community, we're looking for moments where we can just build relationships, pour the love of Christ into people. Sure. Wow, I started to preach, but boy, it felt good. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll take up an offering at the end. <laughs> uh, so just a, a couple thoughts here, uh, a couple scriptures that we didn't have time to share on, on Sunday, but they really reinforce this, that uh, God's plan of salvation uh, includes us, but it's not about us. Exactly. It's about him sending his son. So Galatians 4.4 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So there's this identification with men and women who, under the law, apart from Christ, stand guilty, stand exactly. condemned. Uh, Hebrews 2.14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So not only was he born into the likeness of men, uh, but he was born under the law, perfectly keeping the law all of his life, mm -hmm. so that by his perfect sacrifice, he might destroy the power of the devil, the, the accuser. De devil just means accuser. The accuser. The, the one the who brethren. accuses yeah. them uh, of their unrighteousness, of them falling short of the glory of God, that he might destroy that power of the devil, which is, that's beautiful when you think about that verse you mentioned earlier, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, uh, that the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to s keep them from seeing the glory of Christ in the gospel, that that power in Christ is not only defeated and broken, it's destroyed. I mean, it, yeah. it's not like they lost a battle, you know, in hell. It, it's so completely destroyed. And that means we can pray uh, with confidence that God will win the battle in individuals' lives, in family members' lives. We don't have to give up, even if it takes two years, 10 years, 20 years. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, I was thinking of the, uh, the scripture that's in, I think, Colossians, where Paul talks about through the sacrifice of Christ, he has removed the accusations that are against mm -hmm. us. Not only redeemed us, but renew, uh, removed those accusations. The judgments against us. Yeah, yeah, that were hostile against us. It's in the Bible somewhere. I can't <laughs> senior moment. What I do remember is from 2 Kings, and, and this, this comes in to, with our praying and how we pray for people, and it's very specific. I love what happens in 2 Kings with uh, the prophet because he's just been mightily used of God, opened the eyes of Naaman, who was a, a heathen, and yet God extended grace and healing there. And Naaman, I believe, had a genuine conversion. But the enemies are coming against the prophet, and his servant goes out of the house, and he is terrified. And it's a beautiful thing where the Scripture says, I believe it's 2 Kings 8, where the prophet prays for him and that his eyes are opened. And it's reminiscent of of things having our eyes opened mm -hmm. when Elijah and Elisha have walked across the Jordan River together and it's amazing for the first time in 500 years the waters of the Jordan River are parted and it happens twice in one day mm -hmm. 
and they're walking across, and Elijah looks at Elisha and says, what do you want? And he said, I want a double portion of your spirit, which meant I want to inherit. The full inheritance. I want the full inheritance, which would be the inheritance of the firstborn who got a double portion, and it would be the prophetic office. So double portion, let's just clarify that. Okay. uh, Because this gets talked about a lot. Okay. Yeah, it does. So in, in Old Testament, the way it was set up, for instance, I have two sons. This is my favorite eldest son right here. It's true. That is. <laughs> and his brother Jason. It makes Jay- a lot of sense. Yeah, so his brother Jason. So if we were under Old Testament law. Jason, did you hear that? My favorite eldest son <laughs> and his brother Jason. That just happened. I've been, I've been waiting for hey, that. Hey, hush. You're, you're messing up my illustration. So when the time comes and my estate is divided, since Matt's the oldest... He would get two portions, and Jason would get one. So the inheritance, because I have two sons, would be divided in three portions. And the oldest got two portions, and the youngest got one. Maybe it's because he already got the coat of many colors. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I just had to get back at you. Okay, so seriously... Now, if we apply this to what uh, Elisha says to Elijah, he said, I want a double portion of your spirit. That's the context that he was speaking of. Yeah. And Elijah says, now that's a hard thing you've you've asked for. I can't give it to you. But if you have eyes to see me taken, you'll get it. And that's the thing. You know, I constantly praying, God, open the eyes of my heart. And, and we used to sing this song a mm-hmm. lot, this, this chorus. Open my eyes, the eyes of my heart. Lord, I want to see you. I want to see you. See you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. But he has eyes to see Elijah taken up into heaven. And then he picks up the mantle. Fast forward now into Second Kings, where... They're coming to try to kill Elisha. And Elisha's servant is just freaking out. Yeah. And I love what it says, that Elisha prayed for him, that God would open his eyes. And it happened, and he saw that the mountains were filled with the hosts of heaven, that those who were for them were greater than those who were against them. Yeah. So all of that to say... One of the greatest things that we can do is, as we're loving people, especially family members, God, in your mercy, in your grace, open their eyes, open their eyes, because they're not capable of seeing the truth right now, because the God of this world has blinded their eyes. So that's the great uh, tie-in with that uh, lengthy rabbit trail. That was not a rabbit trail. (laughs) That was spiritual truth. (laughs) We we fall into that category uh, when it comes to loving people and reaching out to them with the gospel of thinking that it's it's my responsibility to accomplish this, where if rather than their eyes being open, if our eyes are open, we see that God's power at work in their life, God's moving them towards mm-hmm. uh, questions about who he is, openness to receive the gospel is infinitely greater than our meager attempt. We're, we're the exactly. tiny little person who's trying to have a conversation. God's been working for 30 years in this person's life, maybe even generationally bringing things in their family that he mm-hmm. might bring them to this moment of faith, even if that's not this moment. 
Mm -hmm. We're just part of this process that I think that is incredibly freeing where we don't have to freak out. Like the whole thing belongs to us. The whole thing's riding on us. We just, the burden's not on our shoulders. It's, it's the work of the Holy spirit that brings the word of life and truth into their eyes. Now, Now, I also think that there's a part of that prayer for the opening of the eyes that I need to pray for myself. God, open my eyes to see where you're working. Open my eyes to see and recognizing your timing with people yep. and the little changes that are coming in their lives. Yep. That's huge. That keeps me encouraged. Uh, and it keeps me seeing God at work and not falling into this trap where I feel like I've got to do it. I've got to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a prayer that you have taught for as long as I can remember that I think, uh, fits nicely into that. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I, I consciously prayed this for years, and, and now I sometimes feel like I get up in the morning and my spirit prays it. Where I pray, Father, make me conscious of your presence with me today. Show me the little things that you're doing in my life. Make me sensitive to the needs of the people that I come in contact with and help me to say one word to encourage them and to point them to you. That prayer has changed my life. It's, it's made life an adventure because you begin to say, okay, God, who, who are we going to meet today? Mm-hmm. And, and to look at them. And then as I meet them, here's the other thing that I started to do is I'm talking with people and I'm looking at them. Those of you that meet me now are going to think, oh boy, here he goes. This is what he's doing to me. We're talking and he's praying, but I am. God, what are you doing in their life today? How do I need to encourage them? How can I point them to you? I'm doing that in conversations all of the time. And I'm looking at them. I'm listening to them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? (laughs) Now, I'm not just saying mindless things, but I, I am engaging with them. But at the same time, God has done an amazing thing for us to be able to multitask spiritually. And at the same time, I'm saying, Father, what's going on in their life? Well, people are thinking things anyways in the middle of a conversation, but it's usually really selfish, self-centered stuff like, do they like me? Do they care about what I'm saying? Rather than, God, what are you doing in this person's life? Uh, Why have you brought them into mind? How can I be part of what you are doing, the good work that you are doing in your life? That's That's a much better way to pray. Well... Yeah, because our minds are working, and I confess, as one who does far too many things, I'm thinking, okay, I've got to get on to the next thing. You are the most ADD. I totally got it from you, 100%. 100%. All right, so a couple more scriptures that we didn't have time to get to on Sunday, uh, it, and it, it really feeds into this idea of the imminence of God. Uh, mm-hmm. that God is near to us. Uh, Luke chapter 9, and I, I think this fits in good with us uh, reaching out to people. Uh, Luke 9, 1, then Jesus called the 12 together. Those are his disciples, his apostles. By the way, apostle means sent out, if mm-hmm. you're listening to this. Uh, gave them power and authority over all demons and power to cure diseases. Now, the church tradition that I grew up in, we loved that part of the verse. But loved it, loved it, that God has given power and authority over demons, power to cure diseases. Only it kind of stopped right there yeah. rather than leaning into, okay, what, what was going on? What's the purpose behind here? Verse 2 
this is Luke 9, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Matthew 10, 7, a parallel passage, and he says, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of God is near. So he sent them out. Uh, there's going to be miraculous signs that are accompanying them, mm -hmm. uh, proclaiming the kingdom of God. As you go, proclaim the kingdom of God is near. And Luke 10, 9, so a little bit after that first one in Luke 9, uh, he says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. The entire point of what God is doing in people's lives, God's working in their lives, is not to make them happy and healthy and wealthy. It's so that you might have an opportunity to say God is near you. Exactly. Uh, this God who uh, created the world is near you. That, that's the doctrine of the imminence of God, mm -hmm. which uh, just a definition of that. Again, I didn't take time for this on Sunday. Uh, God's imminence refers to his presence within his creation. A belief in God's imminence holds that God is present in all of creation while remaining distinct from it. So uh, we are not New Age Buddhists who would say that God is creation, that the tree is God. There, we, we commune with nature because nature is God. So we're not tree huggers. We're not tree huggers. Okay. That's true. I feel better. Uh, in other words, there's no place where God is not. His sovereign control extends everywhere simultaneously. That yeah. God is, is everywhere. And it, it's not just the uh, omnipresence of God. That, that would be that doctrine, that the God is everywhere at one time. It's the fact that in his everywhereness, he is close to you. Yeah, for the word of God is nigh thee in your mouth and in your heart. He's there. And yeah. that's the miracle, too. There's two things that come to mind here. In Matthew 4, 23, he is just empowering his disciples to do what he was doing going throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching that the kingdom of God is here, and, and healing and ministering uh, to people. So in his disciples and then in us today, he's just duplicating those things. But it's, yeah. it's not, it's the Christ in us. Uh, it's not that we are the ones doing this. It's him working his work in us and then through us to a lost and dying world, to a broken, a broken generation. Yeah. Well, and it's for the opportunity. This was the missing piece, I think, for a long time. It's for the opportunity to say, uh, God is near you. The, this, not, not in some weird, like, Listen, just like you are, God loves you. God accepts you. Uh, God thinks you're fantastic. Uh, it, it's not that. I mean, God does have great love. We talked about that on Sunday. The amazing thing of John 3.16, that the motivation of God was love for these rebellious, awful people, but that we might have an opportunity to yeah. proclaim God's closeness, that he has sent his son in the world, that through him the world might be saved. Like that they have an opportunity to turn from themselves, which is why Christ's uh, message that he preaches again and again is repent and believe the good news. Mm -hmm. That's it. And, and that's exciting. And, and I was also thinking about the reference you made about how in your generation in church, there was so much uh, emphasis on the power and the authority the dunamis, the exousia of the power of God. And I, as you were talking, I was thinking, okay, why did that get misplaced? In part, it's because of what was going on culturally. As one who grew up in the 50s and in the 1960s, um, 
you know, the church had gone through a time where there was no life, very little life. There was salvations taking place. Obviously, I got saved, but there was a there On was the a second f- verse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, isn't it great that God can use even kind of messed up things like that, slightly manipulative things like that, and yet God works within it. Hey, every morning I look in the mirror and I realize that he works through <laughs> messed up people. But, you know, my point is, culturally what was going on, we were going through that time of higher criticism that came out of Germany that was just debunking the miraculous. We were going through that time when Time Magazine on the cover declared God is dead. Well, suddenly, in the late 60s, in 67, you have the Six-Day War. You've got a miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Roman Catholics, the University of Duquesne, and and all of us good Protestants knew that could never happen because they were Roman Catholics. <laughs> God forgot, somebody forgot to tell God. Well, then at Notre Dame in South Bend, you have the same thing happening. Suddenly, all across the the spectrum, the religious Christian spectrum, you're seeing manifestations of the power of God. I wouldn't say that we got intoxicated with it, but we got preoccupied with it, and we missed. Uh, the greater part that you're pointing us to. Well, and I I think the reason most of that is a rather significant problem is what we tend to do is we just internalize it and it's all about me. It's all about either a, my experience or my ability in the moment. And every single thing that Jesus is equipping and sending out of his apostles, Mm -hmm. the sent out ones, his disciples who are following him is so that they could point to him. Oh, exactly. You know, you look at, you look at some of these big ministries that have continued and they're just the giant finger pointing to themselves in the whole thing. Well, this fits in beautifully with two things because I think an argument could be made is that when we fall into the trap, it is, really an indication of our own insecurity and we're not secure in who we are in Christ. The other thing is this morning, your mother and I in our devotions were going through, uh, we're going through the gospels and we were in John three and you look and we saw something that we actually stopped as we were going through the scripture and talked about this, that it hit me in a new way. I don't think about Jesus baptizing people. But twice it says in John 3 that he was. Hmm. And they come then, these questioners come to John the Baptist and say, hey, how do you feel about this? He's stealing your crowd. And John comes back and he says, and forgive the paraphrase here, I've been telling you all along, I'm not the Messiah. I'm the one who's preparing the way. And then what has been probably my life verse, John 3.30. John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, he must increase and I must decrease. And if we keep that central, in in fact, you know, when the people have asked me to sign something for them, I've generally put John 3.30 under there. I need that as a reminder. It's not about me. It's not about my ability to save anybody. It's not about my self-promotion. It's about pointing people to him, and he's got to increase, and I need to decrease. Yeah. A good tag on the end of that, um, Acts 17, verse 27, 
uh, from the New Living Translation. I, I just love the way it said it. It, it tends to be a more simplistic, uh, less <clears throat> accurate word-for-word -word translation, okay. uh, but it does pretty good when you line it up with the rest of them. It says, uh, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Yeah, beautiful. And rather than it being about me in this moment, that God is orchestrating this uh, through natural means, through supernatural means, uh, through uh, his work on his, you know, apart from us, just mm -hmm. convicting their mm -hmm. heart, his, his work using us, uh, that people might begin to sense this eminence of God, this closeness of God, uh, to feel for him. Now their feeling for him in groping in the midst of darkness does not save them. No. That, uh, the scripture is clear. No one seeks after God. No one does what is right. But as God is, is beginning that process of peeling those blinders off of their eyes and they're looking for who is doing this, what is happening here, mm -hmm. it's in those moments that we have an opportunity to share good news, uh, to love them on God's behalf with the hope that Christ himself will fully open their eyes, that he will fully change their hearts from death to life, from stone to flesh. And unless he does the work, it isn't going to happen. Yeah. Uh, those who are converts of Herald don't last long. Those who are disciples of Jesus follow him with joy through eternity. Yeah. Yeah. The, and I think the church is filled with false converts. Well, yes. And, and I was also thinking as you were talking is that so many times the problems that we have within churches, and I'm, I'm not talking about ours. I'm, I've been church in general, church, the in, church general. in general, yeah. because, you know, I've tra traveled across the church and literally around the world. And the problem is so often it's me focused. It's about me. Yeah. Uh, and that's expressed in a variety of ways, some of which is trying to get God to do for me what I want when I want it and in the way I want it but also the other people in the church who need to be sensitive to me. Yeah. Rather than the Christ in me that says, God, how can I serve you by serving them? The Christ in me that says, God, what's going on in that person's life? How can I encourage them? Mm -hmm. there, there is such a temptation, and I think this is one of the blinding tools of the God of this world, is to make everything about me. Yep. Yep, I would agree. And when I recognize that, boy, it goes a long way to putting things in perspective and saying, God, forgive me, take the blinders off of me, and then consciously turning and say, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to what you're doing, what's going on in that person's right, life. Right, because what God's doing may not be what we would think, this looks like God's hand. Mm -hmm. But if God is orchestrating, working in these situations to convince them of his closeness right, his imminence. Mm -hmm. uh, well, then when someone is hurting and broken and God heals them, he convinces them of his closeness, his care for them. Yes. When God, in his sovereignty, allows them to walk through heartache and brokenness and loss, and he does it so that he can convince them that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, He's convincing them of his love and care. But those look really different. We, if we go into every situation expecting, uh, you know, 
if you want a happy life, come to Jesus. If you want God to fix all your problems, come to Jesus. That, and we tell people that, and then they go, I did all the right things, and I'm still going through a, a terrible time. Well, we haven't helped them because we forgot That's to true. tell them in this suffering, maybe one of the things that God is after in this is to convince you more than ever that God is near to the brokenhearted, that eminence. God is, oh, yeah. is near to you rather than God's main motivation is to fix all of your problems so that you can be pain-free and happy in all of your life. And that's just, number one, I, I think that's cruel when the end result for <laughs> yeah. every person is death. Yeah. Every person on the planet. So we look at, we go, man, God didn't make me feel better. Oh, it gets worse. You're going to be dead. <laughs> you know, rotting in the grave at someplace. least your body's gonna die yeah i mean that, not your spirit yeah. obviously that that's eternal but if we think that what god does or doesn't do in this temporal world is because he just wants us to be happy and comfortable we have so misled people rather than it's about the imminence of god everything is demonstrating mm -hmm. his mm -hmm. closeness and his care for his people well and paul says whether by life or by death yeah. I'm seeking to glorify God. So no matter what I go through, it's an opportunity for the kingdom of God. And, you know, one of the life-changing th things that I've begun to pray in the last year is, God, may I represent you well before a watching world. No matter what I'm going through, I want to represent you well before a watching yeah. world. And that's a reminder that I need that it's not about me. And it helps me to keep the focus out of me yeah, and pointing it onto him. Good. And what a freeing thing that is, because it's all about Jesus. Yeah. It's not about me as if you should do things my way. We used to sing that too. We did. You alone this is, are God. This is old song podcast. I know. You alone are God and I surrender. The funny thing is with that song, for those of you who remember it, uh, as a worship leader, it would have this big chorus. Uh, <laughs> It's all about you. It's not about me. And over and over, the words would get inverted and people would sing, it's all about me, <laughs> which I think is telling. I, it I think is that, very that telling. The story. <laughs> I, that we're going to see that this coming Sunday as we're looking at Genesis 3, the fall of man. Um, another good reason why this whole thing shouldn't depend on us. So should, does that mean I should just skip out on this church that I'm supposed to preach for and just... Maybe. Maybe <laughs> just, just send a note that says, read Genesis three, the fall of man. You'll understand Ooh. why I didn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that tendency towards sin and self yeah. doubting God, doubting his word, yeah. doubting his character and man, we, we've got to be building people of faith who put all of their hope and trust in yeah. God, his word in his character. Exactly. You know, that's a great segue. You know, we laugh and we chuckle, but in all seriousness, uh, if you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you come and join us on a Sunday morning. I know you can watch online and you're, you, can, you can get some good stuff out of that. But it's not the same as being there with the gathered saints, not the same as having people shake your hand or uh, if you for, uh, feel comfortable giving you a hug and just gathering together in worship. Uh, we'd love to have you join us. And I realize that some of you who uh, are joining us on this podcast, we love it that you join us, but it's physically impossible for you to be with us. So if you don't have a church home, join us online. 
if you do have a church home, go to your church. Support <laughs> your local church. Be involved in your local church. And you can always watch uh, our service and this podcast. Yeah. So, Lord willing, we will uh, see you on Sunday about 10 a.m. All right. God bless you. Have a great, great day.